Who did you wanna be when you grew up? Or maybe the better question is, who do you wanna be when you grow up? As a kid, that was a super easy question for me. And in my head, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a professional bass fisherman. And before you laugh at me or look at me like I'm crazy, that's a real thing. And you really can make money doing it. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, thinking back, I know exactly why that's what I wanted to be. It's been in my family for generations. Um, I remember waking up on Saturday mornings, just biting at the bit to get out there on the water. And in the Saturday mornings, we weren't going on the water. I'm watching Bassmasters on TV. It's something that is just part of my life and was 100% part of my life back then. I can also remember the Friday nights, getting ready for a tournament the next day, rigging rods, putting line on rods and getting just the right bait for the morning. I remember the sweet smell of that two-stroke engine cranking up and firing across the lake at 65 miles an hour. I don't know what that looks like for you, but that's what I was passionate about and that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. But as you can see, that really didn't pan out. And maybe for you, where you're at right now didn't really look like what you wanted to be when you grew up. And that might be because studies actually show that only 4% of people actually become what they wanted to grow up to be. Crazy, right? But maybe the better question for us then is not what we wanna be when we grow up or what we wanna do when we grow up, who we wanna be when we grow up, but rather, who do I want to be tomorrow? And maybe even better than that, how am I doing at that today? So far, the Apostle Peter in our First Peter series, Living as Exiles, has talked about two very distinctive things. Number one, who we are. You know, as a kid, I wanted to be that professional bass angler, but that's not who I am today. Today, me and you, if you're a believer, we are actually chosen exiles living in a foreign land. This world is not our home. That's what we've learned the first week. But after that, Peter also dove, dove into what we have and it's not just who we are, but what we have. And what we have is a living hope, right? Not one that it's just like, oh, maybe this will happen tomorrow. This is a expectant hope of what's gonna take place in the future because of what Jesus has done in the past. So today, the question is, truly, what have we done with that these last few weeks? And honestly, if you wanna know what you can do with the next few weeks, if you really haven't done stuff in the past few weeks, you've come to the right place because Peter is also this morning gonna talk about, okay, yes, we're chosen exiles living in a foreign land. Yes, we have a living hope, but how do we live in spite of that? How do we actually live a hopeful life? So if you have your Bible, we're gonna dive into that. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter number one. We're gonna start in verse 13. And Peter is gonna tell us how we live a hopeful life and give us three marks of a hopeful life, a life lived like Jesus. Let's dive right in. Verse number 13, he starts off by saying this, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a bunch of words, there's a bunch of phrases in there that we need to unpack. Number one is the first word. What does it say? It says, therefore. And if you know, here at the Orchard, we say, we need to understand what the therefore is therefore. And what it's there for this morning is because what we learned last week, we know that trials are gonna come and they're gonna test our faith. We also know, once again, that this world that we live in, this world we're a part of, is not our home. It's not. We're looking forward to a heavenly home with Christ. And so Satan, we do have a real enemy. 
His name is Satan. And he wants to distract us. He wants to take our mind off of what is directly in front of us. And if he can get us focused on the trials, on the circumstances outside of our relationship with Christ, he's gonna do that. And here's what he does. He's really sneaky in this. And when I think about bass fishing, this is exactly what I do to fish, right? But this is what Satan does to us. He's not gonna give you something that you don't want. He's not gonna try to get your mind onto bad things. He's gonna try to get your mind on good things, right? Seemingly good things that the world has to offer in order that you miss the best thing, which is Jesus. Man, that's what that therefore is there for, that we ought to be level-headed, our minds ready for action and be sober-minded. When I think of that, I also think of the letter that James wrote. James says that we ought not to be tossed to and fro like the waves on the sea. We're not to be unstable people, but we are to be, just as Peter is saying here, our minds ought to be ready for action and we ought to be sober-minded, clear thinking, staying focused. And that next part, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is it important for us to set our hope in the right place? Maybe this will help you. I also remember... um, you know, as like a 14, 15 year old working on houses with my dad. And my dad's a construction worker. He's a general contractor. See, he builds houses for a living. And here's what he would always tell me when we were framing up a house. He would say this right here. He said, Austin, we must set this securely to the foundation or everything we build upon it will fail. And see, we like to focus on like these walls and stuff like that. They look cool and they look awesome, but we tend not to focus on what actually holds these up. And my dad, knowing that what holds the walls of a house up is securing this frame firmly to the foundation, I also have to think about when I hear those three words, set your hope, that it's also very, very important that we set that on a firm foundation. And guys, yes, it is important what you set your home upon, but far greater, far more important is what you set your hope upon. So this morning, what do we set our hope upon? Do you see that? Where it says the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, what is that? That's where the stain of sin, that's where the bondage and, 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 and the, the pain and guilt of this life is gone. Sin and hurt is gone and we meet Jesus face to face and we're his forevermore. My goodness, what an incredible verse to get us started. What an incredible thing to set our mind, not on the trials that we face, not on the circumstances looming over us, but on the grace that is gonna be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. And we set our hope upon the mighty name of Jesus. That is where we start and that's where we're gonna end. So as we continue here, we're gonna also, we have to define a few more things. And as we continue, verse number 14 says this, right after he says we ought to set our hope on Jesus. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Man, there's, there's also some words in there we gotta define. And the big one, right? You probably hear this in church all the time, or maybe you've never heard it at all, is holy. Guys, what is Holiness. There's two types of holiness I wanna go into this morning. We have one that's called positional holiness and one that's called practical holiness. And we're kind of dealing with both here, but the one word that we need to focus on when it comes to this is conduct. 
Think about conduct. Remember, he's, he's already talked about prepare your minds for what? For action. So this is a practical holiness. But I want to first and foremost say that our practical holiness, the action of our faith, comes from our positional holiness in Christ. And so our positional holiness, that's what we like to call justification. And that's a one-time event that secures your salvation when you come into a relationship with Jesus. That does not waver. That does not change. But it's, but it's the conduct, right? This practical holiness we call sanctification that often sometimes wavers. And that's the action, right, of becoming more like our Savior, becoming more like Jesus. So we need to understand the correlation between those two. Positional holiness, your security in Christ does not waver, does not change. Practical holiness, the outworking of our salvation, that does change and that can waver. So what is what is holiness then, right? What, what is the root meaning of this word holiness? We talked about practical, we talked about positional, but holiness as a whole, it just means different. And a holy person, right, is, is not an odd person. They're not a strange person. They're just a different person. Even though I will say, once again, we have to understand that the outside world looking in, they will see us believers in Jesus. If we're living a holy life, they will see that as strange, they will. And Peter actually talks about that in chapter number um, four in this same book. And here's what he says. And he, he's talking about Gentiles and how they live. They're, they're, they're partying. They're doing everything that the world's doing, um, drinking, drunkenness, care, you know, kerosene, orgies, lawless idolatry. And here's what he says. Peter says, they, the Gentiles, the people who are doing what the world does, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. Once again, a reminder to them that, hey, you are not to look like the outside world and you are actually exiles once again in a foreign land. I love this right here. And, and th this is something, honestly, can, can, I, can I get vulnerable with you for a second? This is something I struggle with. The pattern of holy living, right, is not fully about just work, 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 work. What did he say? He said, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Guys, we don't work. We don't do these holy, um, we don't enter these holy endeavors to gain grace from God. We have it. We actually do these things from grace. And here, here's what this says. The pattern of holy living cannot be reduced to a limited number of quote unquote holy actions. God's righteous deed flow from his holy nature, from his character. In our lives, if we're gonna pattern holiness, it doesn't express a change of action. It, it first has to address a change in our hearts. And that's something, a change in our hearts will in turn produce change in our conduct. And that's a cool thing. So we walk in holiness. The second thing Peter is gonna tell us is that we also need a reverent heart, not just a transformed heart, but a transformed heart that is reverent as well. Verse number 17 says this, if you appeal to the father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time as strangers. I think about this and I think about sometimes when I, when I think about my earthly father, right? And how, yes, I, I want to work to please him. I want to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, my dad's going to love me because I'm his son. And the same thing with your heavenly father on a much grander scale. 
is when we're conducting ourselves with reverence, when our actions, our thoughts, and our words are reverent to the Lord, that is different from what the world is doing. That is different. And people are going to see that, right? Once again, he says, during your time living as strangers. And this awe, this unbelievable respect for God is not supposed to make you afraid. It's not supposed to push us away from him, but it actually draws us to his care and his compassion. And we live our lives once again in a holy fear. And that's not this idea of being like shivering and afraid. This is the idea of my goodness, God is the end all be all. He's the alpha and the omega and I will bow before him with my mind, my thoughts, my words, my actions and my posture in life. But once again, remember, we're exiles. That is not gonna be something that the world looks at and gives us a, gives us a clap. Honestly, once again, what we see, that you're slandered. You're a stranger. So that begs a question for us this morning, doesn't it? So is this life in exile? Is living in this world and not being of this world, is that really worth it? And Peter's gonna kind of give us an answer to that question. And here's, here's the third thing I believe we must have if we're gonna live as exiles and we're gonna live a hopeful life and one that is actually lived for Jesus, lived more like Jesus, is we must have a focused mind as well. Verse number 18 says this, and we're gonna read through verse 21. It says, for you know, that's huge. You know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Listen to this. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter's telling us that one of the best ways to walk worthy of our calling, one of the best ways to live a hopeful life, a transformed life, and a life that looks like Jesus is to keep our mind focused on that very dude, Jesus. Man, and also to remember what this inheritance, and if you remember last week, we talked that that inheritance is, is not one that's, that, that, that can be stained, not one that can be taken away, and it's actually kept in heaven for you, but we need to remember what that cost our Savior, what that cost Jesus. So what did that cost him? What did, did he do for us? Number one, he redeemed us. What is Redemption. You know, we, we, we sing this song in church sometimes and I love it and, and we, you know, people raise their hands to it, but I hope we really understand what it's saying. Listen to these words. It says, behold the lamb. The story of redemption is written on his hands. And, and if you've never heard the story of redemption or maybe you just need to be reminded like Peter's doing for these people right here. The story of redemption is really simple. It's the gospel. It's that Jesus came to a broken, sinful world according to the will of his father and lived a perfect life. Never sinned one time. A life that we, in and of ourselves, we could not live. So he lived the life that we could not. For which, did he get a round of applause from people? No. He was actually hung on a cross, beaten, a crown of thorns on his head, and he actually died. But not only did he die from the physicality of that, he took on all sin upon himself. My sin, your sin, the sin of the entire world. And he died a sinner's death. And he actually died my death. He died your death. He died the death that was rightfully ours. But thank God, three days later, 
In this story of redemption, Jesus arises again, right? And, and do, you, do you remember this resurrection is what Peter is talking about? That's why we have living hope this morning is because of the resurrection of the dead. Jesus rose again, something we could never do. Something we could also never do for ourselves is give us new eternal life. And that's exactly what he did. He redeemed us. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you gotta start there. But also something really, really cool that this verse says is that he didn't buy our inheritance, right? He didn't secure our inheritance with silver or gold, but with every drop of his blood. Man. Number 20, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world to be, but was revealed in these last times for you. You know why that gives me hope? He revealed himself to us, yes, but there was a plan of redemption for me and for you before the foundation of the world. Before you took your first breath, before you sinned the first time, there was a plan of redemption for us. That's incredible. And the third thing in verse 21, this is awesome. Through him, through that guy who died and rose again, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in who? God. Man, what an incredible thing. I think about all the times, and, and maybe, maybe you're like me in this, where, where I get so bogged down by the weight of life, by the busyness of life, that I forget, I forget the cost, the heavy cost, the debt that was paid on my behalf. What a... What, what a what, what, what a thing that I, I just can't wrap my head around sometimes is how do I forget? It's because once again, we have an enemy and there's a, there's a world that's doing everything they can to get our eyes off Jesus. How do we have a hopeful outlook? How do we live a life closely tied to Jesus and a life that looks like Jesus and models Jesus? We do that when we have a hopeful outlook and a hopeful attitude. Here's what Wearsby said, something that's so cool. He says, outlook determines outcome. Attitude determines action. So guys, if, if you have a lousy outlook on life, if you have a lousy attitude on life, you're probably not gonna go far when it comes to the outcome of what that looks like and the action that we're called to here. But if we begin to have a hopeful outlook on life, if we begin to have a hopeful attitude, man, we can really change some things. And here, here's, here's the thing. Jesus, even in his darkest times, even when he's hanging on the cross for us, even when he's crying out to God, please let this cup pass away from me. He still has a hopeful outlook on life. How? How? How can Jesus on his deathbed have a hopeful outlook, a hopeful attitude? Because he knows what's coming in the future and we ought to as well. Have a hopeful outlook. And honestly, the takeaway this week is really, really simple. It really is. Live differently this week. Remember I said at the beginning, and man, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy because this here is gonna push me to live differently these next few weeks. And if you needed some encouragement, if you needed some, um, maybe some challenging from God's word, man, you came to the right place. Live differently this week. How do we do that? Here's four practical actions that we can take. Remind yourself of the hope that you have. You have a hope. It's a living hope and it's founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive right now, working in and through us. Number two, know that the consequences 
of living worldly, the consequences of our sin far outweigh the counterfeit satisfaction that it brings in that moment. I, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to that 14-year-old kid who was only enthralled with one thing and that was bass fishing, but bass fishing, man, it failed me every time. Every single time. Yes, there would be cool moments. Yes, there's moments where, um, you know, I'll never forget. But there's also moments where without Christ, finishing last in a tournament, that affected me for months. But now, now, I understand that the consequences of sin, the consequences of not knowing Jesus far outweigh the temporary satisfaction that sin brings. Number three is renew a sense of reverence for God. I mean, how, how often do we just find ourselves in all of God and all of his creation and all of what he's doing in the people's lives around us and all of what he's doing in our own life? And honestly, how often do we find ourselves just in all of him, his nature, his character? We need to be doing that. And number four, when the world around you begs for your attention, when the world around you begs for you to place your home here and place your hope here, fully focus on Jesus. Fully focus on Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm begging you, just as Peter's begging these people, the world around you probably doesn't seem hopeful. I know this last couple years has been a train wreck for all of us. I get it. And it's been hard. And following Jesus in this time is hard, but it is 100% worth it. Living a holy life, living a hopeful life, and living a life for Jesus is 100% worth it. And can I tell you something? It's okay to be different. It really is. And when I think of different, when I think of live, living life differently, I think of one guy, and his name's Matt. Matt's the guy who, um, when I was 14 and 15, would actually talk to me about bass fishing, even though he knew nothing about it. He would take time out of his day to show me love, show me compassion, and talk with me about what I was passionate about in order so I would listen to him when he would talk about what he was passionate about. And when I think back, when I think back on my life and I think back on the one moment where this clicked for me, where I decided, I don't, I don't, this world has nothing to offer me. And I need to place my hope in something secure. Matt was there and he led me to Jesus. And here's what I know and here's what I realize now is that, yeah, Matt probably didn't care too much about bass fishing, but Matt cared about me. And Matt just wanted to be like Jesus. And I think we should too. Let me pray with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and how it challenges us and impacts us and encourages us. Lord, I pray that we would live differently this week because of the hope we have in Christ. And God, even though that the world may seem hopeless, even though that this world tries every day to get us to come to a fake home and have a fake hope that we would stead, stay steadfast in the pursuit of you. God, thank you for holding on to us. Thank you for dealing with us even in our sin. And thank you for redeeming us, God. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that he brings to our everyday life. God, help us focus on that. Help us focus on him. And once again, God, help us to live differently this week because we know that outside of these church walls, outside of the walls of our home, there are people who do not have hope. 
people who are planting their flagstick right here on this earth unknowingly when there is a far greater home in heaven with you, God. Once again, thank you for loving us, giving us grace and mercy that we most definitely do not deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you have a great week. Go live differently.